I feel like it's been forever since I've hopped on an IG live. Super happy to be here. Um, missed you guys. I have a special guest whom I feel like I should have already known for at least a decade. She feels the same. It's Regina from Broken Brown Egg, and we're excited to dive in and have an important conversation today. We're going to hear about Regina's own story in the fertility slash infertility community, what the Broken Brown, what Broken Brown Egg is up to as an advocacy organization, and, uh, and also how she is working with one of our other strategic partners, Organic Conceptions. And if you don't yet know what Organic Conceptions is, they're an emotional health and wellness company. And Heather, there she is, the fabulous, the fierce Regina from Broken Brown Egg. How are you? How are you? Fantastic. So happy to finally be connecting with you. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, you know, it's funny. We kind of like run in all these same circles and I don't know, it just took us a while. And I'm so grateful that Mark at Organic Conceptions finally connected us and, and was yeah. the one. Yeah. So tell me all about you. So first I want to know, you've been at Broken Brown Egg for 12 years. So tell me the, the genesis of that story. How did you come into this community? Yeah, so I was actually, I was a part of a, a website called Chocolate Brides. It was a message board and um, it was started by Keisha Monk and she started it because she didn't find any black people represented in the bridal industry. And people mm. would stay because we also didn't, you know, it was a place of connection. And so people would stay even after their weddings and they would just kind of hang out in the message board because it was kind of pre-Facebook. Um, and people would kind of talk about fertility stuff. I was only like two women that I heard mention it. And I was like, whoa, they must have money. Because I thought, yeah, right. you must have money. And I didn't think anything of it. And then my husband and I had been married for a couple of years and nothing was happening. I had these ridiculous periods that were lasting years and years. I mean, it felt like, wow. and, uh, yeah, it was like months months, weeks, wow. ridiculous, um, to the point where I, I, I had studied what the actual terminology was. I was like, Minaraja, because I, I was like, what is this? Um, and every place I would go, they would just give me birth control pills. And um, I was getting so frustrated that I just started talking one day on Facebook and was just like, you know, that aunt that never had kids, maybe she couldn't, or mm. I was just getting so frustrated about it. And then, um, my husband and I were nearing our fifth wedding anniversary and it was, um, I'd had the blog for a little while, but I told him, I feel like I want to do something. Mm -hmm. And, um, and he was like, that's a good idea. So we decided to, um, throw a gala here in Chicago to raise money, to kind of help anybody else who needed fertility treatment, to wow. bring awareness to the, the blog. And I filed it as a nonprofit here in Chicago and state of Illinois um, and just to see how I could help others and then I just kept talking <laughs> um, and I just wouldn't be quiet because the more that I was learning the more I was realizing that it was bigger than babies it's yeah. infertility is bigger than babies it's my mental health it's my relationship it's my finances it's my religion and my faith it's my weight it's my health it's my nutrition it's all of these things. It's how I get up and go to work. It's all of these things that nobody else was talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and I realized that there were also women who were reaching out to me and they were just saying like, thank you. Nobody's talked about this. And I didn't know this happened to us. And I thought something was wrong with me. And, um, and I just couldn't be quiet. At, once that door was open, I couldn't 
close it after that. It yeah, was like, of no, we're going to keep talking about this because I refuse to let my nieces or yeah. anybody I know be like me and be sitting in an emergency room for hours right. thinking that there's something wrong with them and not right. just that they need help. So it started from there and it's been, it's been going ever since. And right now we're um, seeking 501c3 status. I'm waiting to hear back on whether or not we have our 501c3 so that we can do more to give back. Amazing. But I really just try to make sure that I'm putting words to those feelings. Yeah. I have so many feelings and I felt like nobody understood. And um, now I try to help other people by putting the words to those feelings and saying, you are not crazy. You are not alone. This does suck. It's okay to and it's not normal. It's not normal yeah. to bleed for months on end. Yes. And you know, the birth control isn't problem. fixing the problem. No, because we eventually found out that my tubes were blocked. So it was like, that was never, sperm was never going to meet eggs. Never, so never. The fact right. that I didn't even know that there was a test. Right, that you could do. See if my tubes were blocked. I didn't even know tubes could be blocked. I didn't even know that was a thing. Mm-hmm. Wow. And by that point, we have been in it for so long. I was like, now nah, somebody had just done this in the first place. Right. <laughs> Elim- like, how many years somebody. of suffering would it have eliminated? Oh my gosh. Because we didn't, we didn't even get to IVF. We even, we didn't have Judah until, um, Judah was born seven years to the day that I started the broken brown egg. Wow. Um, and I just, yes. Calais, we don't know until we're in panic mode. I see Calais yeah, in the yeah. chat. Um, but we we don't know. And I I would have saved so much time. I would have saved so much stress and strain on yeah, my marriage, course. on myself. There's a lot of guilt and shame. Not even just, you know, people talk about the traditional guilt and shame of it because it's an embarrassing situation mm-hmm. for many of us. But there's a guilt and shame on myself of I'm not moving fast enough. I didn't do enough. I didn't ask the right questions, like all of that guilt and shame mm-hmm. that saved. It just it could have done so much more. But I, I'm I'm grateful on this side that I can now tell other people, you can get a second opinion, you can leave that job, mm-hmm. <laughs> you can go on that vacation, That's you right. can tell that doctor you disagree, you can do all of those things because I didn't know that I could until That's I started. That's so powerful. You can speak up if you disagree with your doctor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're, they're doctors, but they are people who went to yes. school. Yes, yes, <laughs> exactly. Well, well, and I so many of us, <laughs> like you, you're a librarian, but you know, during exactly. the day, it's not, not like you're uh, not well read and not well educated, you know, and yet there's this whole area of our body that so many of us did, aren't experts at until we have to be, until we hit that panic mode like your friend was saying, right? And hi, Dr. Sherry, I love you so much. So Dr. Sherry is one of our resident OBGYNs who's one of my favorite people in the world. And she's always standing up for that and saying like, heck yeah, if you don't agree with your doctor, go get a new one. And when she hears stories like yours, she's like, yeah, time to get a new doctor, you know? And so much of her style of, (laughs) your friend is so, I love your friend. (laughs) I love the look too. I know her look is awesome. so, you know, so much of doctoring is like listening, listening. Talking. Yes. and I feel like, I feel like all women, but in particular, given the historical distrust of the African-American community, rightfully so of the health system, 
yeah, you're not necessarily walking in thinking like you have an open conversation that you're allowed to have. That part. And you don't even know what to ask because you've right. never seen it. Right. So you may have gone to the doctor with your mom, with your dad, with your grandma. I went to the doctor with my grandmother for years because my family, my, my parents lived with her when I was very young. And then in high school, she was where I went after school until my parents picked me up. So I went to many doctor's appointments with her. I never saw her ask questions. Wow. I never saw her say, I disagree. Mm-hmm. I always saw her come out with a plan of what to do based on what they told her. Mm-hmm. And I know now looking at my family, my grandmother's been gone for 25 years. My, there are still things that my mom and my aunt wow. and my uncle feel because she passed away of breast cancer. And they, they're to this day feeling as though oh, we should have asked something different. Right. We that guilt and sh- to hang with you for 25 years. Right. I oh gosh. For anybody. And it, it comes chills. from a place of not knowing that I can ask. And yes. then even once I realized I can ask, what am I supposed to, I don't know what to exactly. say. What do I ask? Right. I don't you know don't, what this stuff means. You, you don't know what you don't know. And you're yeah. thinking they're supposed to know because they're the ones with the medical exactly. degree. Yeah. So I, I know. And then if you, you know, you start Googling, you go down a rabbit hole, it doesn't necessarily help. And, you know, rapidly getting women connected to organizations like yours and to your blog is so important because they can get a rapid education. And, you know, I love this idea and your friend was putting it in there too, you know, bring an advocate. And I, I think that that's something that I think women are really shy to ask for help sometimes and just, and to say like, Hey, do you mind coming to this appointment with me? Because I feel like I might be too overwhelmed. And even though I have my list of questions, I might not digest all the information. I might not take notes fast enough, or you might just hear it differently. Right. And I, I kind of tend to think that, and, and this is, this has come up with PCOS challenge, endo black, white dress project, like all of our, all of our love of, of all of our advocacy partners it comes up a lot where I feel like we need an army of advocates who are available to get on the phone when you're at the doctor's appointment yeah. or to like to attend with you. Maybe that's what we yeah. should call it too. Army of advocates. <laughs> <laughs> I used to actually do, um, I used to have a waiting room buddy program through the oh, program cool. years oh, ago cool. Yeah, uh, where you could just have somebody that was just willing to be on text with you at the doctor's yeah. office willing to be able to be on voice with you. And now I just tell people it's not an official program of Brooklyn but I tell people now, period, you should always take a pen, a pad, and a plan every appointment, every time. Yeah. And then get you a waiting room buddy. It can yeah. be your spouse. It can be a relative, yeah. your best friend. And if they can't come with you, put them on, you know, voice chat, Google Hangout, whatever you right. need to do. So that when those things are coming at you, because it comes at you fast. Yes, it really um, does. It goes so it goes so quick from right. I came in for this to mm-hmm. wait. So you're saying mm-hmm. I need a surgery? What for what? Right. And you're not able to hear. Mm-hmm. And so having somebody with you, they can help say, okay, slow down. Can you repeat yep. that? Um, and then I'm also working right now on a broken brown egg guided journal that's going to include things you can say at the doctor's office things you can call back and ask amazing activities to do while you're there because your mind is in such a jumble mm-hmm. when it comes to fertility. Cause you're not, none of us expect to be in this until we're in. Yes. Oh, completely. Um, and also can we include in that journal personal data you should bring with you? Yes. It's in there. <laughs> okay, good. 
It's in there. It's That's in there. Awesome. Also, how to ask for your medical records. Yes, how that to too. For something right. to be listed in your chart. All of that is in yep. there. That's awesome. I can't wait to see yeah. it. That's great. When are we expecting that to be available? The aim is by my birthday. My birthday's in October. So the Great. aim is that it's going to be part of my Fest celebration for myself. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, you've got something in common with my IVF baby, Dante. Um, he's got an October birthday too. So I have a special affinity for Libras. <laughs> yes. We are yes. a rare and beautiful, yes. indecisive breed. <laughs> uh, yes, but balanced. The indecision is balanced. <laughs> So I don't want to I don't want to gloss over the racial issues that your community and and you know specifically women are facing and how how we all go about supporting the conversation. So one thing that I've that's been kind of top of mind for me, Regina, I want to dive into with you is, you know, on IVF Clinic's website, you'll have the Pride flag, and it's a great indicator to the LGBTQ community that this is a safe place for you. Right. How, how do you, first of all, find the place where you, you can feel assured you won't be met with racism when it comes to picking a doctor and there's only 420 or 460 IVF clinics. There's not that many. And yet there's probably 45,000 OBGYNs that are the first, you know, person, right. The first doctor that people see when they start having challenges usually. So how they're not putting up a flag that says, I think I'm not a racist. I think my organization's not, doesn't have, you know, unconscious bias, or I think that I don't, that our, our infrastructure isn't rooted in, in, in historic racism. So how do you know? Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, And I think that it's, it's not a new question for people of color. It's why we had the green book in the 40s and 50s and 60s. It's why um, we have sites like Black Travel, Black This, like, mm-hmm. because one of the questions that I used to get when I started the Broken Brown Egg was, well, infertility bothers, it's, it's hard for everybody. So why do you need that? And it's like, because we need it. Right. Because of that exact question. Right. Um, and we tend to share information through word of mouth channels. We tend to mm-hmm. share, this is someplace I felt safe this is mm-hmm. a safe place for you mm-hmm. because that's historically how we've always shared information. And so right. organizations like the Broken Brown Egg, like Fertility for Colored Girls, like mm-hmm. Indo Black, like the White Dress Project mm-hmm. and the Challenge, they have resource lists. And usually we, we vet those resource lists based on companies, not who are giving us money, because not many mm-hmm. are. We're basing those resource, resource lists on people who have reached out to work with us. People who we've seen trying to take actual action Mm -hmm. steps. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also the support groups that each of us have, there are actual members in there who are going to say unapologetically, Mm -hmm. I did not like this experience. Don't try this place over here. We're going to fight to make sure that we're telling each other the, the absolute truth. It would be great. If when we go to those sites on their websites, though, they may not have, you know, the Pan-African flag or anything like that, mm-hmm. similar to the LGBTQ mm-hmm. flag, but are the pictures of babies on your site only white babies? Right. Are right. The, when I go in the waiting room, do you have copies of Ebony or do you mm-hmm. only have copies of people? When mm-hmm. I come into a space, do I see things that tell me that I'm welcome? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to, you know, wave a, a banner. 
it's through action. Let me see that this mm -hmm. is where I'm comfortable. How do your staff speak to me? What are the questions that I'm, you know, being asked when I come in? Are they, are there any racial or white supremacist, white supremacist undertones? Yeah. That? Right. Um, so there's those kind of things, but we are always going to tell each other, Hey girl, don't, mm -mm, don't. Yeah. Like okay. Um, One thing that I love about that, that list way. that you just came up with though, Regina, is that you just gave me an action item because when I go into those places and I notice that Ebony's not next to people magazine, I can, I can bring that up. Right. I, that gives me something that I can be like, Hey, how come you don't have Ebony here? You only have all these white magazines. Why don't you have Ebony? And I, you, that's how I can use my voice. And I think that sometimes I struggle with that part about like, okay, I'm going in, my experience is great, but I'm not noticing if somebody's experience is bad, but are there other things that I can look out for, you know, because if we mobilize everyone to do the same and you know, that, that seems that seems like a good step forward in the sense that it could open a conversation, you know? Yeah. I mean, because what if I'm there and they're like, well, we don't have Ebony because we don't have any African-American patients. It's like, why don't you have any African-American patients? Exactly. And now suddenly I'm in a conversation that could be useful and could affect change. Yeah, yeah. And it's, and it's not always, I think sometimes when people have these conversations, they feel that they're difficult because it, it opens a can of worms and it, it makes you feel like someone's accusing you. When sometimes mm. it's just a matter of we have to be aware yeah. so that we can move forward. It's cultural competence. Absolutely. You have to yeah. be aware. So if you're noticing, like you said, if you're noticing, well, we don't have any black patients, so we just don't have it because they're not mm. here. It's like, well, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? If this is exactly. a place where I know yeah. oh, I can be heard here, I've, I've heard good mm. things here. Um, and then also, who are they reaching out to? So mm -hmm. there are very different social structures. For instance, in the African-American community, sororities and fraternities is a, a great example. So with mm -hmm. sororities and fraternities, when you look at something like Legally Blonde or Animal House, mm -hmm. you see a certain demographic and you think, well, after college, that's, that was all foolishness. And after college, they're done. Well, in the Black community, Kamala Harris, you know? So you have to look yeah. at, and our organizations function differently and we're active and on the ground in our community. So when you're doing outreach, are you outreaching through those channels? Are you connecting with our barbershops, our beauty salons, our churches, mm -hmm. our civic organizations, our bookstores? Because we have very specialized places because we've needed to have them. Right. But most times we're welcoming if you have something that you'd like to make sure that we're included in, mm -hmm. we're more than happy to partner and connect. Um, and so, absolutely having these conversations is not to point blame. It's not to say yes. you didn't want to, it's to say, we didn't think about this. <laughs> we could do better. Mm -hmm. How can we think about this? What can we do mm -hmm. instead? How can, what are you all reading? What is something, what's yeah. a resource that you'd like to see? Right. Um, you know, inviting those of us who are doing this work to, you know, teach your staff, inviting mm -hmm. us in to tell them, you know, here are some things that you could be doing differently in your marketing. Because those are all areas that because a lot of this wasn't available to us, we're not the ones who are the fertility marketing consultants. Right. We're not the ones who are helping with, you know, trying to attract more clients. And so this is a complete area of, you know, job training that can be available. Mm -hmm. There's other ways to serve and support us. So I feel Absolutely. like it's a great opportunity. 
We're being photobombed. <laughs> so that's and Dante a and a kitty. <laughs> he is he is a kitten lover, Regina. So Jonah's seven, right? Judah is, yeah, he's five. Oh, Judah. Judah's five. Okay, Judah's five. It was seven years to the day that he was born that you started Broken Brown Egg. Okay. Dante is going to be eight, and I'm getting ready to do my second embryo transfer. And, you know, it, for me, that panic, that panic mode, and I've always said this, is I was diagnosed with cancer when I was 31. And I, I felt so grateful for the diagnosis because it forced the conversation during a time where nobody ever really brought it up to me either that, Hey, you're already 31. And you know, you might want to start like thinking about what your, you know, future reproductive potential is going to be. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I definitely thought I had all the time in the world and I was just trying to build a company back then, not this company, different company. And, and I, so I think that that's so true for everyone, but in particular, I would love to hear though, in the African-American community, you said, well, I was, I was married. And so I kind of came into it because I was on these websites for married people. I wasn't married at 31. I'm still not married. And so, you know, it was a, a different kind of crisis that led me there. What are all the kind of pathways in, you know, for single black women, you know, where are they even learning about these things? Because they might be like you, like where they're bleeding for months on end and they have and nobody to talk to about it. Yeah. yeah. And they don't even know. To me, that's the bigger thing, which it comes up in a lot of different areas of the fertility conversation, but it's it's something that I think people of color have really tried to identify. There have been stereotypes that have said that we're hyper-fertile, that we are, we have no issues getting pregnant, that we, you know, we don't need this, we can't afford this, but there haven't been as many conversations about, well, how does the body work? You know, there's so much left out of of sexual education and we're not really taught anything about our reproductive health. And when you're just told, Mm -hmm. you know, don't don't have sex because you'll get pregnant Mm -hmm. or you get an STD and that'll derail you. You know, you're already stereotypically going to probably be a teenage parent. You tend Mm -hmm. to be on this this path of, well, then I need to succeed. I need to push forward success. And what's happening with a lot of single black women is they're finding out, oh, I, sh- I could have frozen my eggs. Oh, I have fibroids. I didn't even know what those were. Right. Because we weren't given any information about reproductive health. We were just told this is something right. that you guys, you know, you don't need any help with the fertility part that's covered, but you probably are going to need some, some um, prevention in terms of STDs and things like that. So there's all these things that get left out of what we're taught. Right, um, right. And so a lot of us are getting our information now because we're seeing some celebrities finally come out and say, you know, this is what's going on with me. This is what I've always kept on the Broken Brown Egg, a running list of Black celebrities who have mm-hmm. experienced infertility, because I think in a lot of cases, we just didn't think it was us. We just right. didn't ever hear it. Um, and the more that you go back, you find that it goes all the way back to Josephine Baker. It goes mm-hmm. all the way back to LeVar Burton. It goes back, you know, we look at Gabrielle Union and Dwayne Wade, but Angela right. Bassett and Courtney Vance also use the gestational carrier. Wow. So I forgot that. that. I forgot yeah. Angela Bassett's story. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So having that information there yeah. is important for people to to Very. kind of normalize it and let them yes. understand that this is something that is a health issue and it's also mm-hmm. a reproductive justice issue. It's yes, not it is. sex ed. No, it's, I should know how to, how my body works. 
Yes, exactly. And and at young ages. So after you complete this journal, are you going to work on maybe some cool kid education? (laughs) I already, you know, as a, as a team librarian, I'm, I try to make sure that the things that I collect, even for here at the library, when it comes to um, nonfiction, I always try to make sure that there are health books here that are available that include information about, you know, historic things that may make, like we mentioned earlier, things in terms of J. Marion Sims, who's considered the father of gynecology and his experimentation on enslaved Black women. So one of the books that's here in our collection includes stories about that, that gives the names of those women, Betsy, Lucy, and Anarka. And there are things here that talk about polycystic ovary syndrome. So making some people know what their bodies are capable Mm -hmm. of, but also what, how their bodies work Mm -hmm. is so important. And I've tried to make sure that I keep book lists, um, on my site. Uh, I'm also on the board for, um, for, um, I'm reading comments and trying to talk. At the Me same. too. At the same time, I was doing the same. <laughs> I was trying to read the comments. <laughs> I wanted to advise them because we have two beautiful girls. It is, it is very hard. It is very hard. I would definitely say for that, get um, a support system. Mm-hmm. and a um, and a complete like workup I mean you you it sounds yeah. like you you definitely have meet the definition of secondary infertility yeah. so you need to get a proper workup and proper workups from our perspective at fertility answers is not always possible at an OBGYN's office there yeah. are some OBGYNs who are incredibly thorough but even Dr. Sherry knows the line of when she's exhausted the tools in her toolkit yeah. and somebody needs to get to a specialist So that's, I want to just put that out there is that everybody has a right to have the size of the family that they want to have. And if you want six more babies, beg them in 9846, like let's get you into a specialist right away. And they will do, they, like Regina said earlier in in the beginning of our, our series or our episode, you know, she didn't even know that her tubes were blocked. We got to find out the same. A lot of changes happen after you've had two babies and your tubes could be blocked. You could have lesions. You could have endo. You maybe had developed PCOS. You, I mean, there's a million things that could be going on. It could also be unexplained. We have a microbiome partner that has done phenomenal research that's changing people's lives. And they have a 50 to 75% success rate in helping people like her who already had had babies. And if she has open tubes, they could help restore her fertility potential. They're called microgenesis. Go to microgenesis.net if you want to take them out. Um, they've helped. One of the things I'm so excited about them is that they've helped people who were so overprescribed with antibiotics in this country, right? And they've helped some of the toughest cases, people who have failed four IVF cycles, people who have failed egg donor cycles. Wow. And they restored their fertility by restoring their gut health. And those people, 75% of them, those women got pregnant after failing four IVF cycles. So it's, yeah. And I'm so happy that, you know, we get to work with organizations like yours and researchers like them to help bring these solutions to market that are really affordable, especially compared to, you know, the cost of IVF, um, you know, for those that are trying, you know, that, that could avoid it. It's not always avoidable. If your tubes are blocked, your tubes are blocked. Okay. 
And that's, you know, um, if you don't have a womb, surrogacy is the only option. So those things are important, but I want to go back to that educational piece of, of needing to know your body and our data. What we see is that people of color in our data set are underdiagnosed with PCOS and endometriosis and fibroids compared to predictor models that we run against national averages. So how do we help people get properly diagnosed? And where do you think even the gap is? Are they just not getting the right workup? Are they not asking the right questions? Are they not with the right doctor? Do they, you know, is it not, is it an education issue? Like, I want to solve that problem because that's frustrating. I think it's a little bit of all of that. And there's, there's definitely, there's implicit biases that come up where you may be going to a doctor and they automatically assume, oh, it's pelvic inflammatory disease. And it's like, well, wait a minute, <laughs> just because that's what this person experienced, right. is this is you, you found in my chart or is this just based right. on, you know, you're lumping me with everyone you've ever seen. And so there's a lot of that that goes on. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of education around, um, what a period should be. There's still a lot of so like, true. Hush, people hush, think hush. people have these huge clots and they think it's normal. Yeah. Yeah. You Without, know, they have horrible pain. They think with. it's normal. Exactly. Yeah, this concept is just what we deal with, that it's supposed to be that painful. That yeah. It's okay if it if it lasts forever or doesn't come. Right. That it's just, oh well, great. It didn't show up. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. well, no, it didn't show up. Let's figure out why what is the reason why right. it's not showing up. Um, it's nutrition. So I just did a video just a couple of weeks ago on my, um, page about, I was driving into work and I noticed because we've been living, um, we just moved back to the South side of Chicago, um, while we're saving for a house, we're staying with my aunt. And I noticed that all the grocery stores that I knew of when I was growing up, they're all closed. And then I noticed all of the pharmacies are boarded up. And so in that radius of, I forget how many miles, but there's this many fast food places, two grocery stores or one pharmacy. Wow. Um, And I look at that and I, and then when I get to work where I'm in a suburb Mm -hmm. and I look and there's CVS, Walgreens, there's two just, you know, mom and pop type pharmacies. There's five different grocery stores. There's a Whole Foods and a Mariana. And as I was looking at that, it's like, well, if we're then going to turn around and blame, you know, people of color who live in these communities that don't have these resources, Mm -hmm. that's a problem. We can't say, well, you wouldn't have these issues if your nutrition was better when there's if what no if access. I don't drive, how am I yeah. going to get to the nutrition when you exactly. took all the stores away? Right. So there's all of these multifaceted wow. reasons why we're not, you know, being diagnosed soon enough, why we're not realizing things are an issue soon enough. Um, and then also I look at, you know, I got some information from, there's an organization called Black Millennials for Flint, and they were talking about how many of our college students, the schools are eliminating a lot of their health resources. So again, these are things that are happening to young men and women um, at wow. 18, 19 years old that they don't have anybody to go to. Who am I going to go to? I'm on a college Jeez. campus. And when I go to the physician that's here, it's not really a doctor. It's a, I can give you some Tylenol and some condoms kind of doctor situation. So there's, there's so many different layers. And so we can each find little spots where we can mm-hmm. support and help. So if that's, if you're near a college, can you 
offer a way to put some pamphlets there for here's some information about you know, reproductive health. Can we partner with fertility centers to provide yeah. information that, that's there on campuses? What can we do that kind of fits in those different little pockets? We may not be able to do everything, mm-hmm. but how can we address these smaller pockets? And the more that those of us who are seeing this can talk about it, we'll find mm-hmm. out and identify what those pockets are. And then we can all kind of get in where we fit in and, and support that way. I think that's great. You know, something that I think about too is uh, HIV awareness campaigns. So I remember being in high school at the time when HIV and AIDS was the stigma of the decade. Mm -hmm. And I was the bleeding heart activist in high school (laughs) and I was on the student newspaper and I decided that we should run an entire newspaper, you know, on it. And I decided that we should go into, you know, DC and work with an advocacy organization and, and get somebody who's HIV positive to come to our school and, you know, do this round table. But, um, and it was really transformative and, and, it, and in, uh, yes, it, it will be posted. We, we always save everything on IGTV. And what, what I remember about it is kind of, you know, getting to be part of the solution in high school to destigmatize it and open the conversation for high schoolers, right, about, um, about safe sex, not abstinence safe sex. <laughs> and, you know, and I was real keen on that, you know, uh, at the time. And I'll, I'll, the reason I bring it up right now is because I think that the thing that was so successful that has not happened in infertility is billboards nationwide, national ads, video campaigns, movies galore, right? Like this- positive movies positive movies movies about infertility or that reference paint infertile women as we're going to steal your baby we're always sad yeah totally something wrong with we're crazy we get divorced we get Mm -hmm. cheated on there's there's this whole narrative about what infertility looks like and that change it does billboards and things that the reason why infertility is not going to get that or not hasn't gotten that is because it is still looked at as a choice and it's looked Mm -hmm. at as well we have enough kids in the world and you that's something that I shouldn't have to care about just because and nobody cares until it's them and that's right it's really true not looking at it as a health and justice issue yeah. You have the right to, as you said, you have the right to build your family. So mm-hmm. basically when you decide that this is not important enough to put up and say a lot about it, what you're doing is telling everybody who's dealing with this, that the fact that your body gets, is working without error is more important and okay. And it's totally fine that the rest of these people, their bodies are not working as designed. Mm-hmm. And we wouldn't say that to people with AIDS. We wouldn't say that to people with cancer. With cancer. We say that to people with heart disease. Exactly. We tell them, well, I mean, so I can't have Oreos because your sugar's bad. I mean, that's right. on you, right? Right. That. And wouldn't. so we have to start framing the conversation as a justice issue. That's the only way I think that people start to get it. That like, oh, like I saw somebody post the other day, IVF means that I have to pay for a chance that somebody else's body got to do for free. 
Mm-hmm. That's not fair. You know, it's, it's, not it's, fair. Not, it's not just. And so when we look at it that way, there's yes. a lot more compassion that comes that says, oh, oh, so you had mm-hmm. to go into debt to do something that my body just did. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And somehow that clicks differently mm-hmm. with people. Mm-hmm. But that absolutely is, is exactly on target. And I know that's what like resolve has tried to do is make the conversation about infertility just as big as, you know, Susan G. Coleman did with the breast cancer conversation. Mm-hmm. And, and we're, we're pushing it, but we have to get people out of this mindset that it's, it's this optional thing that people just, just choose to do. I just, I, just well, the in, I know. And, and the impact that I see is that people who are struggling with infertility aren't identifying as infertile because they can't even go there because there hasn't been a welcome out that it's like, Hey, it's safe for you to just admit we have people who, who come to us, Regina and say, well, I've had five miscarriages, but I'm not infertile. That, that I, I mean, and then I, it blows my mind. So I'm like, oh my gosh, if, if that means you're not getting to a specialist to actually help you. And that's, that's, whoops. I don't know what that was. That's not okay. Was that the library? <laughs> Is the library no. telling me that my time's going to be up? <laughs> So, and B. Will, B. Will is saying, uh, oh my God, and the cost of egg donation is out of this world. And it is. And the cost of surrogacy is attainable for, for Gabrielle Union and not the rest of us. I yep. mean, it's not attainable for me, you know? And these are, yeah, these are things that, um, that I feel like we really have to solve. And, you know, like you with broken brown egg, you kind of woke up one day and was like, I can't not talk about this. I have to, like, this is the calling. And for me, getting, getting, yeah, destigmatizing the word infertility. And I wish that reproductive endocrinologists weren't even called REIs because the I stands for infertility. And I, I, I see this brokenness in the system where people who meet the definition of infertility don't know that they're meeting the definition definition because the primary care docs, family medicine docs, and even OBGYNs are not telling them and say, and they're not saying like, you meet the definition of infertility and that's okay. And I have someone, I have a specialist for you to go to, and this is normal. This is like, if, if you had a biopsy and it turned out to be cancer, I'd send you to an oncologist. If you had diabetes, you'd get to go see a specialist for that. If you have, right, just like you were saying, there's just, it, it, this is a very bizarre area of healthcare that there are so many cracks that we have to solve. And I'm, I, I'm, I feel so grateful, you know, to have you to talk to about it so that we can all do it together because none of us can do it alone. Right? No, no. And we shouldn't have to, this is an emotional, physical, financial community. It's all of these things wrapped up. And so if someone in your community is hurting, they can't be their best self. So if Mm -hmm. you have a teacher who's coming to work and their work is failing because they're struggling with infertility, but they don't talk about it. And they're coming in here every day and there's kids and they have no idea how to deal with those feelings while also being a good teacher. They're not okay. You have someone who's usually a great spiritual guide for you or they're who you see at church or at uh, mass or whatever and you appreciate them but they're not themselves and it's because they can't pursue what they're wanting for their family but they also can't talk about it because there's mm-hmm. this guilt and shame right and we're missing 
missing out on the fullness of who they could be. Yes. Because that's absolutely to bring awareness to why this thing is normal and that there's things that we can do to support one another through it and that it is not reserved only for which rich people and that it is not Mm. reserved only for white people and that it is something Mm. that can be dealt with then we could do wonders Mm. for improving the quality of life of people around us and that will only improve our community but it took me feeling like, okay, I'm not going to shut up about this. You <laughs> <laughs> could kind of get that even for myself yes. and recognize, yes. you know, even today I went to <laughs> visit a school because Judas turned, he turned five. So he's going to kindergarten and we went to visit a school. And even in that conversation, as we were talking about our goals for him and speaking to the directors and everything, my husband was like, right, because it took us 10 years to get to him. Like it's normalized right. in our conversation. Right. Um, and, and people know what I'm doing. And I find that there are so many more people who reach out in my personal life because I talk about it everywhere I go. Yes. I talk about two things yes. that you're going to always hear from me is that I'm a librarian <laughs> and that I have the broken brown egg. You're going to hear yes. those things because I feel like those two areas serve the wholeness of people. Yes. And I, I can't shut up about those things. I love it. I know. And your friend is piping. It's like, don't you dare shut up. And I second that. Don't you dare ever <laughs> shut up ever. <laughs> Absolutely not. Kalei. Absolutely not. Kalei. That's her name. That's a beautiful name. I love that name. It uh, it's so pretty. I, I don't, I don't want to get off before we talk about mental health and the emotional needs and how you're engaging with organic conceptions. So first I kind of want to address that side of it is you know, it, it absolutely is so part, you know, part of this conversation of destigmatizing it, of, of making it, you know, letting people know it's okay that you're dealing with this. There actually are paths forward and you can come out stronger and more whole and you can, you can feel complete and either you can be surrounded by all these people around you. So, you know, talk to me a little bit about that, that part of the journey for you you know, you mentioned early on the strain on your marriage. How did you go through the emotional coping? How did you protect your mental health while you were in the struggle? I think for me, I had to really learn to develop boundaries and um, decide what was best for me mentally. And then the blog helped me tremendously because I got to get my thoughts out unapologetically, being able to write things out, being able to journal, which is part of what led me to want to write a journal. Um, cause at first people were saying you should write a book. And I was like, I don't really feel led to write a book book, mm-hmm. but a journal, because mm-hmm. that's what helps me. Mm-hmm. I needed to get my thoughts out. I needed to be able to breathe and feel as though what I was saying was not crazy. I needed to feel like I could address the people who were saying things out of pocket to me, who I probably couldn't address in the moment, but in my blog, I could say, why did you ask me that question? That was rude. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I built up little boundaries for myself because my anxiety was through the roof because of infertility, because it's so up and down. And so my anxiety and depression had reached a level where there wasn't as much communication in my household. There wasn't as much communication with my friendships. I was bleeding all the time. So I felt tired. I had friends who were upset because I, I have one uh, former friend now who was upset because she came over uninvited. And I fell asleep during our conversation or something like that. And she was so offended 
And my thing was, I'm bleeding half to death. Oh my gosh. I don't have any energy to sit here and talk to you. Wow. And at first I had been trying to like keep those kind of things quiet and just like, you know, push through and try to be a good friend. And I hate that phrase now. I hate that be a good friend. Anyone who loves you is a good friend. They don't have to be at your beck and call. And that mm-hmm. was a boundary that I had to develop because beforehand I was definitely feeling like, oh, I fell asleep or, oh, I didn't go to that party or, oh, I didn't do this thing. When the fact of the matter was I was dealing with an ongoing existential crisis every single day. I was working as a school librarian. So I was dealing with young children every single day while dealing with infertility. Then I was bleeding. So I was exhausted, anemic. A physical crisis too. I, was, I had had to tell my boss, you know, you may wow. not see me standing up a lot because okay. I just don't have the energy because we would get evaluated on whether or not when she came into our classroom, if we were standing. And I was like, you know, I can't be standing the whole time because I'm bleeding to death. And so the boundaries that I had to develop became airtight, you know, and it seems stupid to other people, but I had to get clear on the fact that I don't care. It's stupid it's- at all. It seems, I feel like you're a superhero. I mean, I yeah, think that like, like it's hard overwhelming. to develop those boundaries. And the first time that you set like a really, you know, a, a big one, I feel like the first time that I've ever done that with like even a friend or something where I'm like, oh God, they're going to hate me, you know, and oh, this might be a confrontation. They and, will be okay. <laughs> they will be okay. They will be okay. Yeah. And if not, then we didn't have as, as strong of a friendship that I thought we had anyway. I let you go in peace. <laughs> I will return you gracefully yes. to the world. <laughs> exactly. I, don't have that. I was focused so much on me that I, I felt like I was being selfish, but it was self-preservation more yes. than anything. Yes, of course. I, I started, you know, when I go to Facebook, I stopped going to my newsfeed because it was triggering for me. Yes. So I, I go to my page, I go yeah. to my notifications and then I'm off. I had to get, you know, ad blockers on my Google because I couldn't deal with news tickers because that Mm -hmm. would get my anxiety going. So I had that going. I have Play-Doh, coloring books, whatever made me feel Mm -hmm. like me, because Mm -hmm. this takes so much away from who you are. Oh, it totally does. All the things that make me feel like me. Yeah. So if that means I'm going to sit and play on my PlayStation and... (laughs) (laughs) glass of wine that's what I'm gonna do are you a gamer Regina I absolutely am okay my <laughs> son is gonna love you oh my gosh I absolutely am that's I awesome love, love love video games always okay have. that's amazing I never have and so having a gaming son was really weird for me I didn't know what to do with him I was like I thought we were gonna play sports together I don't know what to do now <laughs> You just need one good game. One but good yeah, I had to teach myself that those boundaries were okay. That yeah. I don't like being on the phone because I'm doing so much output all the time. Yeah. And when yeah. I'm in and when I'm at home, when I leave here, I need that time to recuperate and regenerate because even while I'm at work, my mind was going all around the you know, rosemary bush about, you know fertility and calling this person back and getting this scan done and getting this ultrasound. So when I got home, I just didn't have the energy for what people would consider normal girl talk. I don't got it. And I had to be okay with saying, I don't have it for that right now. 
Right. Um, when it came to our relationship, we had to get comfortable with, with conflict, mm-hmm. with dealing with how each other deals with stress, deals with fertility issues and deals with anxiety. Um, one thing that we started doing actually was we created a private blog that was just he and I, where oh. I my thoughts and then he could read them, take time to digest them, type back his thoughts. It's brilliant. Of- you could be marriage therapist. That's brilliant. <laughs> oh my gosh. What a great a tool. To work through our thoughts because when you're, when you're, when your anxiety is going or your depression is going. You can't hear what the other person is saying, and you really don't care what they're saying. <laughs> You're like, I don't really care about anything. Yeah, it's really true. Mm-hmm. I need to hear what I'm saying. Um, and so, being able to write back and forth, we could process before responding, and that was instrumental. Getting a, a counselor for both of us and individually, smart, very helpful. All of those things helped us with the mental health aspect, and that's what I really appreciated about when I learned about organic conceptions was that they were the first organization that I heard of that was focusing on the mind body connection of all of this and how it's not okay when people say, well, just relax, that's crap. But it is okay to say, are you taking care of you? Are you handling all that you can handle to find yourself in a better mental state through all of this so that you don't lose yourself? And if that helps, your body respond to treatment, great. Mm-hmm. If that helps your body respond naturally, great. Mm-hmm. But are you taking care of you? That, that was what I really appreciated about yeah. our conceptions and learning about them. And so when Mark reached out, it was a way for me to kind of make sure or to help him make sure that their materials and that what they're putting out includes conversations relevant to people of color and an yes. understanding and a cultural competency yes. because a lot of what we're dealing with mentally may be different. Yes. So we're dealing with going to a fertility center. It's not just the going it's I'm driving, especially Chicago is one of the most segregated cities in the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when I'm going to fertility centers, it's not so much just that I'm going to a fertility center. It's I'm going to a fertility center in a white neighborhood. Right. And are you I'm physically driving. actually going Am to be safe? Safe. Mm-hmm. all of that and so yeah. all those things were are included in our mental health right. and how we're dealing with our fertility struggle and those things if you've never had to deal with it you're not even thinking about that you're like well just drive over here it's like wait yeah I don't drive over there right right and for a very good reason and you know and then then now you got to have a whole second heavy conversation with somebody right. that you, you you're not, not necessarily happy the emotional tank like mm-hmm. the emotional bank accounts even have. Um, I'm, I am the, one of the things that I love about their program too, is that I feel like it's really hard when we say like, we have to learn boundaries. I, I think that sometimes it takes someone like Mark and Aaron in their program to teach people what that really even means mm-hmm. and that they can like actually help frame the words for the boundary that people need to, to learn how to set. Because sometimes when people are just coming into setting boundaries, it can sound like anger. It can sound like frustration or it could sound like hate even. And I think that they have a very productive way to teach people the actual skills and not just teach it, but help people practice it. Mm -hmm. And I love that approach because it's sort of like how we raise our kids. And we always talk about, even in my family, you know, it's practicing patience because there's just never going to be a time where you're like, 
I'm a master at that. You know, like I've got it down. There's always going to be a moment where you just have to kind of practice it, you know, because perfection is unattainable. And I think that that's so true with things like learning the skill of boundaries and you're a very strong woman naturally. So kudos to your, to your grandma, maybe (laughs) right to, to your mama, but you are a very strong, powerful woman. And so, you know, I, I don't, I, I think maybe some of that is innate to you that you applied to, you know, to your infertility journey and, and, you know, had to give yourself permission to go like, no, I need to do this. I need to set this boundary. So I do appreciate their program for that too, but I'm really grateful to know that you are making sure of the cultural relevance. I think that we all need to be mindful of that. Because if we're, if, if in our own little world, we're mindful of that, we can all affect change together and chip away at the systemic racism that, and, and the implicit bias people just don't even see, you know, with all the blind spots that, um, that exist out there. They're there, they're there. And it doesn't, you know, it, it, it's painful to examine them, but it's more painful if we don't. It's more painful if we don't. And right now is the perfect time um, because we've kind of (laughs) laid it all out and we we can address it right now. Yeah. So I absolutely think that it's important and and it's it's a conversation that we have to keep having. Yeah, we do. Exactly. Well, I'm so grateful for you and grateful that we finally connected. I wish I could give you a big old hug right now. For those of you who are interested in learning more about organic conceptions, go to organic-conceptions.com. Really wonderful program by Mark and Aaron Sherman. And uh, and just know that Regina's part of it, Broken Brown Egg, for those of you who want to follow her at Broken Brown Egg. And I'm going to hop on that blog. Um, I don't ever want to cross you though, because I don't want to be written about in the blog. So just my, my ask is if, if I say something stupid or rude, you just tell me. No, Just tell me, no, Regina. You're good. You're good. <laughs> no, I, I so love the work that you're doing. And I am really, really touched by the work that you're doing and how you, how you communicate. It is clear and it's actionable. And I, I think that that is the thing that I love the most is that it's actionable. So like everybody can listen to you and figure out something that they can do that can make a difference. Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) So like, like your friend said, don't ever shut up. (laughs) We'll, we'll close on that note. You guys are going to be seeing a lot more of Regina on the fertility answers channel. Uh, And thank you. I wish you well and keep up the amazing work. Thanks for having me. Bye. You are welcome. Bye, everybody. Wow. (laughs) Regina, you had 158 people pop by. Really? (laughs) Yeah. We had five that hung on there at the end consistently, but we had 158 that popped by to say hi. Oh, wow. I didn't even... I was trying to make sure I was paying attention and not. No, that was great. I I really, I can't say enough. Like, boy, this was a long time coming for you and I, and I, I adore you. Thank you. Likewise. I'm loving what you're doing. Um, I, I, I follow, you know, silly answers and I'm, 